Thank you and welcome to Scripture on Creation. I'm Scott Kump. And I'm Dr. Ben Scripture. Dr. Scripture, you just did a couple of Scripture on Creation presentations in Dallas, Texas. Mm -hmm. And you said that at one of the sessions, you got a question that caught you off guard. (laughs) That's right, Scott. I had the privilege of speaking to a Thursday night young adult Bible study group and then to the congregation of Community Bible Chapel in Dallas on Sunday. And for the young adult study, I was presenting the evidence that man and dinosaur lived together on Earth. So we looked at the findings of soft dinosaur tissue in dinosaur bones and at the description of behemoth in Job chapter 40. Hey, Scott, why would we consider behemoth in Job 40? Well, God's detailed description of behemoth first fits nothing alive today, (laughs) but could apply to several different dinosaurs discovered as fossils. Mm -hmm. And second, since God was recounting the animal's features to Job, therefore Job must have known about the creature. Otherwise, God's description of it would have been senseless to him. Excellent. So then as we read the account of Job 40, I asked, since dinosaurs, at least some, were present in Job's day, what did that mean concerning the dinosaurs and the flood? And a young man answered that some dinosaurs survived the flood, so they must have been on the ark. To which I said, Correct. But a woman piped up with this question. How do you know Job lived after the flood? Mm. (laughs) And I have to admit, my mind went sort of blank, and I had to think for several moments how to answer. (laughs) You see, it's always just been a given in my thinking, at least in part, simply because the book of Job comes after Genesis. But in that moment, I really wasn't able to answer Because that's what Scripture says. (laughs) So in your exchange, were you able to offer her an answer? I mean, after you thought about it for a minute? Well, sort of. But frankly, I felt that there had to be more definitive reasons from Scripture indicating Job lived after the flood than I was able to explain at the time she asked the question. And I should add, one of the men in the group did come up with a very good specific observation. He pointed out that the Chaldeans were mentioned in the book of Job, and they were people who appeared several other times in the Old Testament at times we know were after the flood. So whenever I get a question that challenges our understanding of what Scripture actually says versus what we've always just assumed it said or heard that it said, I consider that to be a perfect topic for a program. Now, granted, studying whether or not Job lived after the flood is not technically a creation question, but we generally have included questions related to the flood as part of the creation topic. And since creation is such an important theme in Job, it seems to me that knowing the context in which the book was written before or after the flood has a major bearing on how we might interpret a lot of the statements made in the book. Well, that's a good point, Scott. You know, I've always simply assumed Job lived after the flood and interpreted everything in Job accordingly. But surely there would be issues to consider or reconsider about the created world if, in fact, Job was a pre-Diluvian patriarch. Pre-Diluvian. Maybe you should define that for us, Dr. Scripture. Uh, Okay. The word deluge is another word for flood or overwhelm, like being deluged with questions, overwhelmed with questions, in other words. In the case of the flood, the world was overwhelmed with water. So pre-diluvian means pre, that is before, the deluge. 
before the flood. So the pre-Diluvian patriarchs were, for example, Adam and Seth and Methuselah and Noah, to name a few. And Noah and his sons were both pre-Diluvian and post-Diluvian patriarchs. Oh, that's right. So getting back to how the interpretation of statements in Job would be affected by when Job lived, pre- or post-flood, an example would be the statements about the ice and snow frequently mentioned in Job. I've made the point in other programs that such references indicate Job may have lived only a relatively short time after the flood because the ice caps that formed on the North and South Poles, and in the case of where Job lived, the ice from the North, would have extended considerably further south than the polar ice cap is today. And Job and the people living in the region north of where Israel is today were quite familiar with the ice and snow in the regions north of them. But if, in fact, these were descriptions of the pre-flood conditions on Earth, that would dramatically alter the creation model of Earth's climate at creation and during the pre-Diluvian era. Including the commonly held idea that it did not rain before the flood. And that would also include snow. That's right. Especially the amounts involved in forming the ice cap and glaciers of Earth's North Pole. So... As we think of what does Scripture say to indicate that Job lived after the flood, the weather conditions are certainly important factors to consider. But we must admit the understanding that precipitation was not prevalent or even existent on earth before the flood is assumed to a certain extent when we interpret Job's statements about the weather. And one other factor related to weather, but not ice and snow, is the frequent mention of thunder and lightning, which again, the creation model of atmospheric conditions before the flood proposes thunder and lightning would not have occurred on earth. Now, I've discussed Job's referencing ice and snow and thunder and lightning, so let's look at a couple of those references. Scott, start reading at Job chapter 37, verse 9. Okay, out of the south comes the storm, and out of the north, the cold. From the breath of God, ice is made, and the expanse of the waters is frozen. And verse 11, also with moisture he loads the thick cloud. He disperses the cloud of his lightning. So in that passage, storms, ice, and lightning are all mentioned. And let's read a verse that mentions thunder. In Job 26, which gives a sweeping overview of the power and control of the Creator over man and nature, Job makes the observation that as fantastic as those descriptions were, quote, Behold, these are the fringes of his ways, and how faint a word we hear of him, but his mighty thunder, who can understand, unquote. And Dr. Scripture, before we look at other factors that indicate Job lived after the flood, there's one other weather-related reference I'd like to point out. Sure, Scott, what's that? Well, at the very beginning of the story, when it talks about what happened to Job, it seems that his livestock were struck and killed by lightning and that a tornado-like wind was responsible for the deaths of Job's children. <laughs> Which produces the mindset, as one reads on, that these were post-flood conditions. And in that passage describing the destruction that came upon Job, References to a couple of people groups are another reason we interpret these events to occur after the flood. We noted earlier that the Chaldeans are mentioned in Job. And there's another group of people in Job chapter 1, the Sabaeans, that are referred to. So let's read Job 1 verses 14 through 17. A messenger came to Job and said, 
The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them, and the Sabaeans attacked and took them. They also slew the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, The Chaldeans formed three bands and made a raid on the camels and took them and slew the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Okay, so there's what you pointed out, Scott. The fire of God falling from heaven surely is lightning. And Sabaeans and Chaldeans killed Job's servants and took his livestock. Now, the Sabaeans are known to have lived in the southwest part of Arabia, of course, after the flood. In fact, it is likely that they were the descendants of Noah's great-grandson, Sheba. Cush was the son of Noah's son, Ham. And in the genealogy of Noah and his sons, it says in Genesis 10, 7, And the sons of Cush were Sheba and Havilah and Sabta and Ramah and Sabtika. (laughs) (laughs) So here we have genealogical evidence that Job was living amongst people who lived after the flood. And the other group, the Chaldeans, are mentioned numerous times throughout the Old Testament as people who lived in the region both Job and Abram came from. Let's read Genesis eleven twenty seven and 28. Now these are the records of the generations of Terah. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran became the father of Lot. And Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his birth in Ur of the Chaldeans. So here is additional genealogical confirmation that Abram's family, whom we know lived after the flood, came from the land of the Chaldeans, a people who came out of Mesopotamia, also known as the Fertile Crescent. Thus, we know both the Sabaeans and the Chaldeans living in Job's day were definitely post-Diluvian peoples, and therefore so was Job. Dr. Scripture, I don't want to be overly questioning, but you made a very firm assertion when you said, we know Abram lived after the flood. Is there a simple biblical confirmation of that? (laughs) Yes, there is, Scott. It's the genealogy of Noah, which is what we wish we had of Job. But anyway, in Genesis 10.1, go ahead and read it. Now, these are the records of the generations of Shem, Ham, and Japheth, the sons of Noah, and sons were born to them after the flood. And we're going to not read all the generations of Shem. Not only would it take a long time, but my tongue is done with all the tongue twisting that would be involved. (laughs) But some of the descendants of Shem were Eber and Peleg and Nahor and then Terah, who we already read was Abram's father. All these generations, as Genesis 10.1 said, were born after the flood. And finally... There's one other bit of information that connects the place and time Job lived with Abram. Scott, do you remember any of the names of Job's friends? I think so. There was Eliphaz and Bildad and Gopher. (laughs) (laughs) Well, almost. It wasn't Gopher. It was Zophar or or Zophar. (laughs) Well, he reminded me of a Gopher. Okay. So the names of the three men also included their places of origin. It wasn't just Eliphaz, Bildad, and Gopher. Now you got me saying it, <laughs> Sorry. and, and Zophar. <laughs> Eliphaz was called Eliphaz the Temanite. 
And then at the end of the book, remember the young man who also had a lot to say to Job and his friends? Yes, Elihu. Uh, right. And Elihu was the son of Barakel the Buzzite. And what's interesting about these places, Teman and Buzz, is archaeologists have located places identified as Tima and Buzz in the region where the story of Job takes place. And something I find really fascinating is Abraham's brother Nahor had a son named Buzz. So we can't make positive connection between these people, but it does seem the people involved in the story of Job can be placed in time and region with people related to Abraham. We know Abraham lived after the flood, and although we don't have Job's genealogy, which could simply and conclusively place him after the flood, we do have overwhelming evidence from the biblical accounts to say confidently, Job lived after the flood. And therefore, we know we are being introduced to the post-Diluvian patriarch, Job, when the story begins with, In the land of Uz there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. And that's not what I say. That's what Scripture says. 